Hello and welcome to the very first Comics Pals Book Club of 2023. I am your excellent host, Sean, joined by Tyler. Uh, uh, I was going to try and speak in Krakowin, but I realized I don't know what it sounds like. <laughs> um, I can't do it. On the fly, do it on, do it on the fly, do it on the fly. Uh, no, I, I'm not a mutant. It's appropriation. I won't do it. Okay. All right. Well, you'll be extreme Tyler. How about that? Extreme Tyler. Sure. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds like I could be on uh, that Disney Channel original movie, Brink. Brink. <laughs> and the uh, Merry Mutant himself, Marco. Ecstatic to be here, Sean. Wonderful. There you go. Uh, that's a key into what we're uh, what we're here to read for our very first book club. We figured we'd kick it off with a bang. Well, you guys figured it because the Patreon uh, voters chose this. Uh, but I think each of us chose some pretty hot books uh, to kick off the year. And uh, mine happened to win. This is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, definitely in the top five conversation for the 2010s. Uh, this is... House and Powers of X by uh, Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, R.B. Silva. Um, Tyler and I have the sweet hardcover editions. Marco's got the uh, the iPad edition. This guy reading digital nerd. Point and laugh. Uh, so again, uh, Jonathan Hickman. This is this is the beginning of the uh, this is the beginning of the opus. Um, this is what changed the game for the X-Men. The, the game began to be changed in July of 2019. Uh, that's when this whole run started. And then it ended in October of 2019 uh, for House and Powers. Um, 12 issues total um, of some of the most uh, inventive, creative, and revolutionary stuff done with the X-Men. Certainly since Morrison. I don't think anybody really changed the game um, like Hickman did, other than uh, the last person who did was, I would say, Morrison. And then before that, you got Claremont. Um, I think that would be the trajectory. But Hickman's in that conversation. Bendis was close. Yeah. He was close. Come I want to talk about that. Oh, you don't close. like that run? Um, Give me a moment. I want to okay. right, dive right, into that. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking about these 12 issues of House and Powers. And I want to say, whether you have read everything that's come since, whether you are just reading House and Powers for the very first time, um, or you're somewhere in between, maybe you've not even read it at all. We have read all of this already. So this is going to be very much a, this is what we think of it now. This is what we thought of it at the time, and this is how things that we've read here changed with context in the intervening years. So keep that in mind as you listen. There will absolutely be spoilers for stuff that has since happened um, because we're going to need to talk about, you know, like the Sinister Secrets, for example, which ones make sense now that we've read everything that's come. Um, just different things like that. What's that, Tyler? I was gonna say we were gonna talk about ten of swords because that's the that's the closest to a ten of swords book club we'll get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we might you know we might touch on all that stuff. Um, we reviewed every issue of 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 
Avengers, or rather, <laughs> X-Men. Uh, we did the Avengers, too, believe it or not, in book clubs. But uh, we reviewed every issue of Hickman's X-Men. You can go and look at that stuff, um, whether it be the House of Powers individual reviews, if you want to hear what we thought back then, uh, the reviews for the events, Inferno, all that jazz is on our channels. Uh, if you want more of the comics, pals, outside of that, you can catch us live every single Saturday for our main show at 10.15 a.m. Eastern. That's where we're talking about all the news in the comics industry and everything that uh, has been unfolding. Uh, we talk about the films and stuff like that as well. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Polls. That's where we review comics each and every single week. Uh, Patreon.com slash the Comics Pals to support the, the show. And you get access to some pretty cool content, including our Patreon exclusive show, Palling Around. And you get to vote for book clubs like this one. Uh, every month, our patrons get to vote for what the next book club will be. So if you want to take part in that, patreon.com is the way to do it. Join our Discord server for uh, continued conversations about all things comics, video games, a little bit of the wrestling, etc. Whatever your bag is. Uh, if you're cool, come hang out. And everything else at the Comics Pals. All socials, all that good stuff. Uh, TikTok, too. If you can follow us on TikTok, that'd be a great help. We're trying yes. to get a little here as well. Absolutely. Build the, the, the TikTok regime. For the comics pals. Oh, so, on there, but yes. yeah, good weirdos. Well, you belong. Uh so Tyler was trying to suck me into a conversation about Brian Michael Bendis's time on X-Men. I cannot talk about that time. I'm trying to suck you anywhere, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot talk about that time without acknowledging that anything that creators were trying to do at that time for maybe about 10 years or so. Uh, was stifled by the Fox, Disney slash Marvel issues on the film end because Marvel did not have the rights to the X-Men on film and had now, you know, started to build their empire of films in the MCU, what we now know as the MCU, because there was no path forward to a deal because Marvel wasn't making any money off of the X-Men films. They decided to essentially stop promoting or making those characters the major characters in the comics it's very obvious it's very clear and because of that i think what bendis did was say hey since i can't take the characters forward i'm, I'm going to literally bring them backward i'm going to take the old x-men from when they were young and bring them into the modern age and just kind of see what happens was it interesting yes but i also think it was Around the time that I started to realize that Bendis's books weren't working for me the way they used to. And again, I don't think it was allowed to do anything terribly interesting. I like Jean. Jean was awesome. Um, and we got her back, but that was it. That was the same time as uh, Hickman's Avengers, right? Concurrently? Yep. Yep. And uh, the very good and underpraised Inhumans run by uh, Charles Soule. Very good. So... Uh, I'm not saying that there weren't a lot of talented creators who worked on the X-Men between the years of 2009-ish to 2019. There were a lot. The stank of editorial uh, 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 mandates was stinky. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you could see it. Yeah, absolutely. And lo and behold, of course, around the same time that Disney purchased the uh, film rights, film and television rights and 
rights in general from Fox, of course, then is when the X-Men were allowed to move forward. Marvel brought Jonathan Hickman back from an extended vacay, snatched him right away from DC's clutches just as he was about to start working for them, and they paid him a lot of money to reinvent the X-Men. And boy, did he do that in 2019's House and Powers of X. Again, this was 12 issues of some of the most uh, interesting storytelling we've seen with the X-Men in a long time. It basically says everything that happened before this in the tw- in the 2010s yeah it happened but forget about that it's a bridge almost between claremont and modern x-men you cannot have read well morrison you have to know morrison but past that there's really nothing you need to know you can go from claremont to morrison to this and you're pretty much okay um i, I will say you just bef- jump right into this honestly yeah, uh, yeah, you could probably just jump right into this. The my only familiarity with X Men prior to coming into this stuff was maybe a random bun book here and uh, just Claremont stuff, and even then, up until maybe like the two hundreds, if that. Definitely before uh, as the nineties were coming in for that stuff. So easy way, uh, easy way to segue into this. Was this your first time reading? x-men week to week when this started yeah yeah okay so let's let's sort of start i guess from where the book starts um because this book is about the x-men in a macro way for sure and, and it's about the mutants but it really puts the focus there there are some pretty clear players here Um, And that's been a criticism of Hickman's run that there were characters who were far more relevant than others, characters who got a lot more screen time than others. That's a heavy criticism that Hickman has received. I think it was a strength at times and probably never more clearly than House and Powers because House and Powers really focuses on Professor Xavier, Magneto, Moira, that triumvirate. They're front and center. Mm-hmm. This is a book about them and what they are trying to do to save. But it's also a book that takes a character who was completely wayward, like Destiny, and makes her relevant. Uh, Mystique, another character who was middling, not always, of course, but certainly prior to this, uh, and elevates her. This book elevated a lot of characters as well. So I want to start with Professor Xavier and the way that he's portrayed in this. Marco, you were on the show at the time. You'll recall this first issue. One of the biggest questions we were asking ourselves was, are the X-Men bad? Uh, Mm -hmm. Is Professor X bad? He's always wearing his mask. He looks kind of devious. What's going on? And in rereading this, you, I still get that sense. I, I have like a, a, like a confusion about his morals. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing where before what might have been seen as devious. I, I remember correctly, I was always on board. Like this radicalization was something that I thought was absolutely incredible. It engrossed me. And to see a speck of not doubt, but 
just a, a, like a new idea be introduced to these, to Xavier in particular, who was so firm on his belief, that, that to me, even though it was suspicious, I was absolutely about. So I don't think he's, I still don't think he's bad in this. It, you know, quote unquote bad. He's not the bad guy here. For me, it's hard to separate it from what I already know. You know what I mean? Like, because there's a lot of like mystery surrounding this book as you're reading it. You're like, all right, what's mm. going to happen next? But I already know everything that happened, so it's a little hard for me to separate that. So like the idea of is he a bad guy doesn't really exist to me. I remember mm. it being a thing. It was more like who's under the mask, really, because that's what was shady about it. Yeah. Um, which we never. It's not like we never got a resolution to that. It was just like, no, no, it's 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 him. It's don't worry, it's fine. Um, yeah. But I think his characterization in this, the, the part that really gets me, isn't necessarily him, but him and Magneto as a pairing. Uh, I think Charles Xavier's entire character is kind of really dependent on him being a foil to Magneto in terms of um, idealism and what he strives for for mutantdom. And the fact that they were finally on the same page in this was uh, like, like that, that one scene where he, 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 he shows Magneto. He's like, Hey, this is what I know. And they're like, all right, we're on the same page. That was like mind boggling to me. I'm like, Oh, this is something that I thought would never really happen. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. They were always friends in a way like uh, friendly enemies. Um, but once they're on the same page, it's like, Oh no, these guys aren't going to be able to be stopped. Um, yeah. And that's what I liked mm -hmm. about it. Um, and I liked how it's a uh, much more active Xavier too. Um, right. In terms of driving the plot forward, it's like uh, Xavier always feels like um, like like the chess player, really, rather than a chess piece. Um, okay. And here I got to see him actually make moves, you know. So yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I think I think Xavier as a character absolutely took a backseat in the sort of 10 lost years of X-Men stories. Um, when he was killed mm -hmm. um, by uh, Cyclops, that sort of, like, it was like, okay, clearly they don't even know what to do with this character anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think taking Xavier sort of back to his roots, but also taking him to a place where it's like, we're accepting everything that xavier is the parts of him that people love and adore but also the parts of, of him that people don't it's all here like the mystery of whether he's even who's who's under the mask whether he's a good person or not all that stuff only functions because people like us living people now see charles xavier differently than we did in earlier years in part because of patrick stewart's performance and because of the X-Men animated series. And in comics, Xavier kind of is devious. He yeah. kind of is willing to do whatever it takes. And that's not something that mass media has ever shown us. But people know that more now because of the internet. So Hickman intelligently leaned in that and said, hey, if you know that Charles Xavier is like this, then cool. If you don't, then this mystery is going to play even better for you because you're confused by this. And if you look at the first few pages of the book, uh, he's kind of creepy. The way that he's like welcoming back what we now know are these mutants that are being resurrected from those sacks. He's very creepy on that page. Um, the way that his helmet's always on, 
is certainly odd. And also the depiction of the other X-Men. This classic page that I always think about when I think about House and Powers, where it shows some of the X-Men, it's, it's a whole sequence. It shows the X-Men placing the flowers, but it never shows their full body. It never shows their faces. It's it's keeping the humanity away from us, the part of them that we connect with. It's not showing them. So the question of what uh, what's whose side are they on, quote unquote, is always present. And the other thing too is is with Xavier's appearance and like I, I think of him like reaching his hand out to, um, I think it was Cyclops when he was being hatched or whatever. Yeah. Um, he's he's like he's like floating a bit. Um, he's lanky. He's got the big dome piece on that I was like, yo, was that the maker when I first read it? Right. Um, but it's very alien, and I think that's purposeful. I think there is a, a, a definitive move to shift these guys away from being seen as humans, like human heroes. Um, it is a purposeful choice to really kind of make them their own thing, which is mutant, you know? Um, and I think it's it's really evident in the way Xavier's drawn and the way he moves, you know? And it's also like, you don't see Xavier moving often. He's usually in a wheelchair. So um, seeing this depiction of him really, really helped add to the mystery. Like, this doesn't seem right. Who is this? Right. Um, I think, but I think it worked in terms of alienating him because that's what they—that's the whole mo of mutants is alienating themselves from humanity. Um, And it was a way for the art to kind of do that too. I I took this instance like the the first two pages reopening this. I'm like, oh, okay. I I remember this now, and I remember immediately getting drawn into it the same way I did again. And it felt like elegance. Like they there is a a confidence and superiority in there Mm -hmm. in that positioning in that pose. And there's like. Uh, it's almost delicate and like rearing uh, a garden. So it it all plays into this. Just they have, they've leveled up to some degree and we have to now figure out what that is and how, what that means for us or for the populace of the Marvel universe at that point. It's funny. You mentioned aliens tending a garden and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Hickman's Avengers. (laughs) But even their surroundings are highly alien. The colors that are Mm -hmm. present on Krakoa, are yes they occur in humanity but not in this way uh you can't really discern any like buildings that look human or anything like that so you can't place them in any particular area it makes them seem foreign and tyler mentioned that you know the story of the mutants is about them alienating themselves i think this story alienating themselves um i think this story is the story of the mutants turning the tables And that's what makes it so interesting because, I mean, think about all the stories of survival that we've seen for these characters over the years. They're always in survival mode. Who else has really flipped it and said, no, we're going to thrive. We're going to make them thrive. It's it's so fun. And and it's also like the the whole MO of of mutants with with under Charles Xavier and, and I would say an extension Wolverine, too, was coexistence with humanity. Um, this isn't that. This is separate existence from humanity, really. Right. Um, it's exactly. not saying I care about what you think. It's like, no, we're going to do this no matter what. Um, right. And it's 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 like the 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 third option. The first option was Charles Magneto and Moira's option is the th- real third one, and that's what we're seeing here. Birth. So the whole imagery with the plants, right? They're they're going around. They're planting seeds. They are. Mm-hmm. They're no longer confined to um, whatever their existence was. Yeah, absolutely. 
and, and we're going to talk more about Xavier as we go on, but I really think um, he was done so much justice throughout this run. Never since I started reading comics has Xavier felt like he mattered much until now. So I was really happy with this um, in 2019 as I am now. Uh, but this first issue is remarkable for, for a few other reasons. Uh, and, and I think we got to talk about the way the art um, just really took over. Like Pepe Larraz, you know, those of us who, who read Marvel comics quite a bit, probably seen him before. Um, but boy, was this a star making effort on his part and Marta Gracia, Marta Gracia, like I feel like he made himself within comics, a household name. They both did with this run. Um, and I, I don't think that there was a better creative team artistically to bring this story to life at all. I just, I just don't, I can't see it any other way. They became a baseline of just, okay, this is what the X-Men look like. The design, the feel tone, everything was based off and continues to be based off of these designs. 100%. Yeah. And specifically, uh, Pepe Larraz really comes from a school that, that really feels like imminent to me. Yes. Um, mm. And I don't want to say he's mimicking because I don't, I think it is different, but has a lot of the echoes of imminent and imminent is one of my favorite artists of all time. So when, you know, I, I opened this book, I was like, Oh shit, this is good. <laughs> um, and I think having uh Marta Gracia as, as the, the glue that, that, kind of keeps thematically everything the same way um, because RB Silva and Laraz are different um, uh, energy wise they're kind of the same you know they kind of feel the same but having the colors be the same is what really I think made it so enjoyable I think mm. I agree it made those transitions between issues of borderline seamless like they're seamless in terms of quality. I think they, I think they sure. both, both series look great. House and Powers, but Marta Gracia is, is certainly the glue, as you said. And, um, and I think it's it's necessary to be seamless because uh, story wise, it's not seamless. <laughs> there's a lot of questioning, and there's like, oh, where am I? Who are these people? So I think having that as your kind of cornerstone baseline, be the coloring, um, which something you don't even think about. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's great reader manipulation, which I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and just like, I feel like they must have had a lot of time to work on this because it just looks so phenomenal. Every page, every um, every character design, like it's all it's all what it needs to be. It's it all it all looks so fantastic. I think the only character design that I remember people really being down on was uh gene gray being marvel girl yeah um i still enjoy that i'm i've always been fine with it as a huge gene fan um but i definitely get why people didn't like it i, mean, I she's still don't understand who's like whose costumes change really since too so right yeah yeah what's that marco i still don't get it like i i, I it's a perfectly good costume it's like an og's thing like i i love it yeah, flag. I think people people feel like Jean should have moved on from this, but what isn't addressed in the pages of House and Powers, but you have to think about, is the fact that Jean Grey's been dead for a very long time. Yeah. Mm. Um, so whatever you think of Jean Grey, 
that's all years of real life having passed by, whereas this character has been dead for a while. It's not weird to imagine why she'd want to go back to her roots, which for her are not that long ago. So, And also her roots away from the Phoenix. So right. I think that's yep. a exactly. specific choice, too. Exactly. So, um, yeah. I want to talk about Magneto, though, uh, because this first issue in particular just shows you right out of the gate that like he's the star of this show. Magneto is the man. I feel like every time he's on the page, he's saying something epic. He looks very cool. The white costume, which I never liked. What? Really? I never liked it. Um, Wait, what, which one do you like the most? Uh, the classic, the the red. The purple and red. The red purple, purple. Red. Yeah, the red purple. I, that That's His always been my Magneto. Good. Sorry? His black one's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I like them part. all more now than I did when they came out, for whatever sure. reason. Um, But, yeah, Magneto looks amazing in this. He has some great lines uh, when he's speaking with those diplomats. How he's reveling in the fact that, like, he knows that mutant kind is, is, is superior and that they're finally living that out. It's, it's just beautiful to watch. Quite a number of these characters. Uh, we'll get into it later for apocalypse, but yeah, like those moments are just, it's like a victory lap yeah. and they're being they're uh, and they're trying to be humble about it. He's not. Well, he's not. <laughs> not humble like about Magneto. retirement, essentially. This is always what he wanted. Yeah. He right. Finally got it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I always feel in this though, there is a bit of reticence from him. It's like, oh, this is always what I wanted, but I didn't do it. Hmm. I don't. I don't read that. Yeah, I don't read that. I, I, it might not be in this book, but I think further on. I mean, I'm I, again. I'm I'm bringing in stuff that I already know. I think that's kind of touched upon in other X Men stuff. I, hmm. I would have to see that. I feel like um, I I always felt like they were presented as a pretty united front for the most part. But you 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 very well may be correct. Um, but yeah, I I, I really think that um, Magneto's like first of all, when I read Magneto dialogue, especially here, I read it in the voice of the X Men the animated series Magneto, um, which that actor brought such uh, gravitas to the character and to that role. I just love hearing that in my mind when I read Magneto's dialogue. But Hickman nailed him. And I feel like Hickman found the root of every character in this series yep. and was able to, you know, hit hit that mark every time. Like a little later on when they send the X-Men on that Orcus mission and Cyclops is being told what the mission is. That to me was like, yes, this is exactly pitch perfect who Cyclops is. He is a soldier. Yeah, yep. that, that line, uh, is it, uh, does it need doing? Yes. It will be done. Bro, I was like, yeah, I popped off again, dude. Yeah, this is why Cyclops is the best X-Men of all time. Exactly. And he did do it. Like, they did do it. Mm -hmm. I love that he he died, but he was right. Like, he, they did it. He's He is a, a and I say this lovingly, like a tool. Like you point him somewhere, and, and his focus and attention just goes onto that. And I think that that is a perfect, uh, it's perfect for the what magneto and xavier are trying to do they're trying to change things by force as much as they can and they're going to use this guy to do so well 
and speaking of Cyclops, like he was off the board too. Like, yeah, he mm-hmm. had died in in Humans versus X Men, um, off screen. He was back though. Uh, he was back literally of... for like two issues. Rosenberg's run. Yeah. He was back. Yeah, for a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, he was back, but it was it was very barely. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, him kind of stepping back in this kind of going back to that soldier instead of being this uh, revolutionary leader um, was refreshing, honestly. It, it was like, yeah, this is like, it's not the controversial, like, oh, is he a bad guy? Oh, he's just being, he's just becoming the new Magneto. Like, it was like, no, this is Scott Summers being a leader. And yes, mm-hmm. it's not a leader of mutant kind, but it's a leader of this mission. And this is where he excels at. You know, he's the strategizer. Um, strategery is, is, is his big thing. Um, I loved it. I loved seeing him come back. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, for a long time fan of the X-Men, regardless of where you come from, uh, these characters feel how you know them. And that's a lot of fun. I think the only one who's, who's not that is Professor Xavier. But again, that depends on your knowledge of the character coming into this. But everybody else feels how you know them. And that's that made it easy to jump into this from any level of X-Men knowledge. I think all of the characters too in this reread um, carry hope. Like they carry just this uh, positivity or they're looking forward to something. And I think a lot of that helps to drive, I think the the emotion when you see them cheer for the fact that they're mutants, when you uh, see them go through the mission and they're happy that they complete it. When you see something as simple as like them making laws, like there's an optimism to ultimately get somewhere grander, and I think that that is just exists throughout the book, and that was very, it was a lot of fun to latch onto because you kind of become hopeful alongside them. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the art sells that a lot as well hmm. because the, of the colors and the way they pop, it makes everything look so bright and cheery um, around them. There is this air of hope and. You know, the book goes through such pains to show us that the the mutants really do lose every time. Like when we get into the Moira stuff and we know that as fans, we know that, you know, they take heavy, heavy losses. And for for a, a lineage and a history like that to result in people who could be so hopeful, um, that's a beautiful thing. And it does come down to what Magneto, Moira and Charles have worked out. Um and it's obviously like sad to see how some of that stuff has played out since then. But going back to this initial story and seeing how hopeful they were at the time, um, it's pretty cool. I want to do a little bit more table setting. Um, the mutants have settled on Krakoa. They now inhabit Krakoa, which we learn is a mutant island. And it is down for the cause of harboring all mutants and creating a sovereign nation where mutants will live freely and by their own laws and they will govern themselves they put out medicine that was uh, born of Krakoa, plants, flowers that give humans benefits like five years additional lifespan, uh, curing all manner of brain diseases like Alzheimer's and things of that nature uh, cancer They offer humans all that stuff just in exchange for sovereignty, to be recognized as a nation unto themselves. Um, And they create their own system of government 
all that good stuff. And that's kind of the what we see being built out within House. Because, again, this is two different series. So House really deals with that stuff. Um, or, well, House really deals with the that stuff, but also the mission of stopping Orcus, that part of it. And then Powers deals with some of the origins of how we got here, where it's going, where it ends up, that kind of thing. Um, if you're not sold in the first two issues as to how revolutionary this is, you can't deny it when you get to issue three. Because issue three is when we get into Moira, who is my favorite character out of all this. Most people think of Moira as just, you know, Xavier's who's a scientist. This book takes her and puts the table on who she is. Um, in rereading this, how did you guys feel about getting introduced to her? Well, no, she ha- she comes in at the issue two, no? Yeah, but I'm saying like this shows you all the all, all the stuff that oh, you know. oh, like the actual details of her yeah. lives and everything. Yeah. Um, I for whatever reason I could have sworn it happened earlier, and I liked where it came in because it set up my expectations. It grounded me in this world. Then it's like okay, cool, and now context, and I'm going to show you that context. So it worked well from that pacing perspective, but. Um, I thought we had this information from the get-go. I did not recall. Yeah, uh, Hickman did a good job of of kind of like, and he's so good at this. If you go back to like Secret Warriors even, um, which. Great book. I love that book so I much. I on my shelf. I, gotta, I still got to purchase that. Um, but it's these wheels within wheels. It's showing you something, but not telling you exactly what it means. And then letting you live in that for a little bit, that that lack of knowledge. And then giving you the reveal, but more questions alongside it. He's a master at that. Uh, it's also a, a big retcon, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Retcons are, are frowned upon, you know, by comic folk. How dare you uh, establish character like Moira McTaggart? Uh, <laughs> uh, Banshee's mom? Is she Banshee's mom? No. She's, no, uh, they, they got together, I believe. Well, they get oh, well, definitely not his mom then. But I know yeah. she had some some stuff with Banshee going on. But like a bit of that uh, and like she's a well-known character she was in the, the animated series you know but she was always human and so like making her a mutant this entire time is wild and then once you once once you get like that you know like oh that's what they're doing okay oh this is a i think i think it's been it's been summarized as as a reality manipulation um I think that's how you can easily describe it. But like that's a it's an omega level power. And so it's not only she's suddenly a mutant, she's an omega level mutant that has been changing the course of and the entirety of the Marvel universe uh, without us knowing. So it's a huge, and, huge and deal. We should say her her powers are that when she dies, that timeline essentially ends with her life. And then she is born again by the same people in the same way all that jazz is the same only she now is aware of the life she lived before mm-hmm. this is where it gets a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey i never read it as it ending the timeline i assume the timeline still goes on but it's a separate timeline and we just start over our current timeline you know what i mean like mm. again what does it really matter <laughs> you know but uh, 
May, okay, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the timeline goes on. Um, the the timeline like we'll that, that we soon. Sorry, oh, I feel like we'll find that out soon because that's in, currently in, in where we are in Marvel Comics. Uh, I know this is supposed to be evergreen content, um, well, but it feels like we're getting some more of that soon. I think to your point though, Tyler, they they say Moira's life ends. They don't necessarily say anything beyond that. They just say her life ends, and then sure. that is the yep. reset. Well, she continues on with the knowledge of the life that she lived before in any yeah. event. And that knowledge leads to her learning that she is a, a mutant, of course. Um, but it also leads to many revelations about, I mean, she she runs the gamut. She goes from wanting to help mutants to hating mutants or, yeah, wanting help to hating to joining Xavier, to joining Magneto, to joining Apocalypse. And we see all these things unfold in the third issue. A lot of people have um, lambasted Hickman for taking uh, from other other uh, stories that involve, oh, yeah. you know, death and resurrection. Was it like a um, Walter Mini thing? There's a book called The, the 13 Lives of Harry August, um, which is very good. And... You know, Hickman has come out and said, I was inspired by many things. I mean, and I don't. It's as simple as, oh, what would you do if you can go back in time with all the knowledge you had? You know, like, it's, right. just, it's just a prompt that's always been around. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And it's used to great effect. It, it really, really, really is. I can't stress enough how compelling all this was when we didn't know anything but what was in these pages. And seeing the infographics, which I want to talk a little bit more about in a moment, but seeing the infographics showing you her different lives. And then when Life 6 was missing, we were losing our minds like, yeah. what happened in Life 6? You know, um, and how exciting that was um, at the time. I'll, I'll, I'll show it for those of you who uh, haven't I read, read this it. yet. Um, shout, out, shout out Tom Mueller on that one. Oh, yeah, Tom so Mueller good. just did a tremendous job, changed the game. And these timelines have maintained uh, as a as a main, not these timelines, but these uh, infographics have been a staple of since and sometimes uh, unnecessarily so. Specifically the data pages, like Hickman works with those data pages that are yeah. designed. Uh, I don't think every writer works with that. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I wish wasn't introduced as like a staple of X-Men going forward. Like, if it had just remained in this, I would have been fine with it. But My favorite exchange in this whole uh, series comes in this third issue. It's when Destiny and uh, the Brotherhood have come for Moira because she creates the cure for mutants. This conversation for me was just so impactful. And the way that they go back to it in Inferno down the line um, and they recontextualize it, all fantastic. Moira is in a position where she feels like mutant and she wants to cure it. Destiny can see the future and she knows what Moira's agenda is and she knows that she'll just keep coming back. And so they leave her a threat. They tell her, if you do this, we'll continue to find you and maybe we'll kill you as a baby. And if we do that, you'll never come back. And so make better choices in your future life. And then they have Pyro burn her alive. Yeah, so she can Great never forget. So she can remember. <laughs> and why does Pyro refer to Destiny as his mother? Is that really his mother? Uh, well, first of all, uh, mutants, uh, it's confusing. I don't think so. <laughs> I loved it either way. 
I'm a big Pyro um, guy. Ever since the uh, the the arcade game, Pyro being like the first boss, love that shit. Or second, no, first I think. Where's Blob first? Blob's first. Uh, it's Blob. Blob's first. Yeah. Um. In any event, we then see all the lives that Moira has lived and all the failure. And I wanted to ask you guys, in retrospect, now knowing where things go and then seeing this, does it make sense? Why Mora ended up becoming a, a full fledged villain? Uh, honestly, no. <laughs> um, I'm yes surprised no. you said that. Um, no, no, yes, in that, yeah, I can see her, you know, eventually becoming anti mutant, um, because a power like this can definitely drive you crazy and maybe self hating. Um, and she's always been the one who's developed the, the cure for mutants, like, that's always been a Moira thing. Uh, but no, in terms of like, oh, I didn't expect her to be a mustache twirly villain. You know what I mean? Like, I think the well, characterization yeah. is a little off, but I think yeah. the trajectory makes sense. I don't because we've had these characters change. Like this is supposed to be, and they mentioned it time out, time in and again throughout this uh, series, that this information is gra- like life changing. It is, it is altering. And my in my mind these characters are altered they shouldn't be acting like this anymore and her even less so because she's learned she's learned the lesson of what that what that comes down to right now that we know that um destiny's technically is technically back whatever her efforts are it doesn't matter so she should be smarter than this so this makes even less sense looking back Hmm. turn i think that she changed because she learned something new. I think what she learned new uh, that she hadn't learned in her prior lives is that mutants are involved. Mutants are are culpable. The leaders of mutant kind are culpable in their fate. I think that's the the conclusion that she comes to. If you read the redacted pages towards the end of the series where she talks about the hubris of Magneto and Professor Xavier. She no longer loves Professor X because she sees him fully now. I think when you read that with the context of where things go, I to me, it's, it's pretty clear why she turns heel. I think that she feels like they didn't listen to her. They made critical mistakes based on their arrogance and that they sealed their own fate. I I think I think that if if you could if you could only see what happened in Inferno and and everything that comes after that we don't know about right so you don't know about how goofy she kind of gets I think it's a clear it's a clear story arc it's a clear character arc agreed yeah um Moira Moira for me was my favorite I was always curious where she was going and. I, I, I think she was done a lot of justice um in, in this series. But not she's not in it that much. Yeah. She she's a bit of a almost like a reverse Deus Ex Machina. You know, like I feel like a Deus Ex Machina is like a way of ending the story, you know, like yeah. but she's really she, what drives the plot forward and everyone else kind of does their thing. She's a MacGuffin, I guess. A MacGuffin's more of an object, I think. Hmm. Yeah, uh, she was fantastic. 
I, I want to now shift gears a little bit and talk about the the powers of 10 aspect and notice powers of 10 because each segment of this book takes place in a power of 10. So the years like the 10, the the, the origin years, the ones, the tens, uh, the hundreds, the thousands or however deep it goes. Um, and it shows us what's going on in each of those time periods, which I say time period and not timeline because those are very relevant in this case, because each of these are presenting us with a different timeline and a period of time in said timeline, if you will. Yes. So, so reading the powers of 10 stuff was a little weird for me. Um, I love it. It's so Hickman, you know, yeah. it's a very Hickman thing, um, but it is different from the house of X stuff. Um, and, I feel like because it, it, it's it's kind of laying out these potential futures and, and the natural trajectory of, of what a Krokoan state can lead to, it can lead to human, you know, escalation, and then what happens because of that, you know, and then eventually turns into, like, this, um, what is Warlock, uh, the alien thing? The, oh, yeah, the, the, the phalanx. Yeah, it gets into, like, the phalanx and stuff like that. Um, it's weird because we don't... Like, how far are we into it? Two years since? Have we really touched any of this outside of uh, uh, the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine? And even then it was light, you know? So I think... I, I think that this part of the story is probably the weakest part. It, yeah. But if you... To me, to me, if you look at it as something that you're looking for something out of outside of this story, it's the weakest part. Yep. When you understand that it only is meant to be relevant here, I think then it's, it's stronger. It's, it's supplemental. Is right. Is. Yeah. Exactly. So the way Life 6 ends, right, for Moira, that's the end of the story. It, does, it doesn't even matter what happens after right. that. It only matters that they, they, we saw what we needed to see. That right there, you know, you're asking about the phalanx and like how that all plays out. Like, she wins. Mutant kind wins because she's able to get out of becoming one with the, uh, with the, with the phalanx, and and have that knowledge. Right. Whereas the phalanx didn't continue with that knowledge. And then in life nine, her death is relevant. And helpful because she moves on into life 10 with the knowledge of when Nimrod is activated. So that's the only real relevance. And, and obviously showing us a dark Terminator-like future. But if you watch Terminator 2 thinking, oh, this sucks. This one's not showing us that future. You didn't watch it in good faith. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's relevant to this story. It's good looking, too. It is. And it's like it good, is. chewy sci-fi goodness, too. Yeah. Although the chimeras, oh, I, I do want to see that. You know what I mean? Like, Well, at the time, my my big theory was that we absolutely would see at least yeah. Rasputin in yep. the future. Um, because it was weird that they were given so much to just go away and never see them again. They, they were, were kind of cool. For it. Right. It was like, yeah. hey, here's this uh, magic colossus hybrid sort of thing. In in rereading it to that like dense sci-fi comment made, uh, I thought that this was a 
it wasn't a slog to get through, but it was much denser than I remember. And with all the knowledge that I have now, rereading it wasn't as enjoyable. Like I, I was brought back to moments where I'm like, oh, I remember this reveal was absolutely amazing and I wanted to learn more and I was devouring these intermediary pages. But now I'm like, okay, I remember a lot of, I, I remember some of this and then as they pop up, they'd be reminders more so. And it became a bit more of a chore to get through. Still enjoyable, but definitely not as enjoyable as that first reread. I wasn't as hungry for it. And that's not a, a knock on the book. But um, I think if anything, it's, for me, I took it as, wow, I can see how somebody can get absolutely engrossed in this story and in this world. And this is probably new reader friendly for somebody who's ready to not have their hands held. If that makes sense. I think it's new X-Men reader friendly. I don't think it's new comic book reader friendly. Does that make yeah. sense? Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I would I would say, um, I mean, look, Hickman had a gargantuan task from a storytelling standpoint because there's a lot of information that's necessary. Yeah. Um, I don't think we would have bought this if they never explained how. And a lot of this book is dedicated to explaining how. Um, that obviously works less effectively in a reread, mm-hmm. but for me, what I took, cause this is like the fifth or sixth time I've read this. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, what I, what I consistently take away is the master work that is being done on the part of the behind the scenes. Like I'm still amazed at how much Hickman was able to give us information without making the books feel like they're bogged down in that. Um, A lot of it is done, again, through characters that we love and care about. This would be a lot harder to accomplish if this wasn't the X-Men and was some new invention. If these were new characters that we had no emotion, no emotions attached to. Um, Would you really sit through powers if if it didn't show like Wolverine and you know, have have all that stuff attached to it, I think it'd be a lot harder of a sell. Um, but we need to know how Krakoa came to be. You know, like, all that stuff feels so important to me. Mm. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the, the... I wanted to talk a little bit about the infographics and the data pages because um, they do get annoying down the road. But I think that they were a tremendously effective tool at disseminating information that you couldn't get to us any other way. Yeah. I I think the database aspect of it made it also feel much more immersive as a sci-fi book. Like as, as I was reading, I'm like, Oh yeah, this, the context that this should be read in is this is sci-fi and we're using X-Men characters that you have familiarity with. And that makes this a much stronger product for that. And um, as I was reading those pages i'm like yes i remember being hungry for this categorization like trying to understand how these pieces work together what defines what because hickman leaves us in this just fog of figure it out and it's only through these strands of information that you get to elevate the story for yourself like you need need this information for you to proceed down the next few pages of art and in some in some cases and i think that makes it that effective of a tool because it's intertwined in a necessary way, but the atmosphere of the book makes it so that those pieces are interesting. Yeah, I I agree. 100%. 
Um, let's talk about the opposition. So we talked about the good guys. We talked about all that. Let's talk about Nimrod. Let's talk about Omega Sentinel and Orcus. I thought we were talking about the bad guys. What do you mean? Those are the good guys. Should I stop everything from happening, human. bro? I don't know. What the, the mutant menace. How much did we talk about that on the main show? Because or on the you know the reviews? Because I always said, um, you know, yeah, I'm down with the mutant cause and all that. But I'm not necessarily seeing what the humans are doing as like. Okay, careful, because sentinels exist. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I think what the humans are doing is a natural response to a fear of extermination. Sure. I, I think that humanity has seen that there is the possibility that they will cease to be the dominant species, and they're reacting the way that any species would. And I think it's made even more ironic in the end of the sixth timeline when the post-human looks back and goes, oh, shit, I need this human because I'm realizing that even though we've won this, we're still ending at another existence or another another type of existence is superseding our own. We still lost the end game. And now I'm going to rely on the mutants to go back and fix my mistake through their mistakes like the the gamble and the risk added so much to the drama into that reveal at the last few pages. Um, I for, I I hadn't realized how discombobulated I felt when I was reading this stuff uh, month to month as the books were coming out, or was it week to week? It was week to week. Yeah. It, was between, also, it also had the yeah. COVID delays, right? Um, I don't remember. No, if it was 2019 that. and 2020, right? This was this was twenty. This was fully 2019 because it unfolded during the summer and into October of uh, okay. 2019. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. July to October 2019. Okay. Oh, um, because it was weekly. Yeah, yes. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I'm, in my head, I'm like, it's monthly. It doesn't check out. But yeah, okay. That makes sense. Uh, in reading this collected, that phalanx part of the story makes so much more sense now because you actually get to see the larger picture unfold mm-hmm. in succession much quicker. And I thought it made for a much better read in trade format because you didn't have the delay. You 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 retain all that information because so much is just information overloaded sometimes. And I think that part of the story worked so much better for me. And uh, it added not context, but I think it added emotional depth to the lengths to which the mutants would go to, to which the humans would go to, and ultimately adds context into like why they're so willing to. Uh, destroy the mutants so it i swear that tied into something you said sean and i rambled for a second i i was discussing how i felt that the humans were were having a natural response yeah okay yeah yeah and so yeah it's just ironic that ultimately they end up losing to their own devices anyway right um uh, yeah, I mean, and and I I love the the characterization of the human characters here. They're not presented as evil. They're not they're not you know mustache twirly villains, as it were. Um, you disagree with that? T- I don't think that the human characters here are presented that way. Fair. I think in, could... in my head, I'm saying I'm thinking Orcus as human, even though Nimrod isn't human, right? Uh, but he's a creation of human. Uh, yeah. I, so, man. This book made me think so much when it was coming out. Um, 
and I still have so many thoughts about all that stuff because in my mind, um, and I, I think the book backs this up that humans and mutants are both actually on the losing side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because machines don't care about all that. And the conversation that mother mold has with, uh, with what was it? Wolverine, Wolverine. or Cyclops Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah. Just solidifies that so clearly Yeah, that feel like they're the inheritors of earth, right? They are enshrined by God to be the, the, the inheritors of the earth and that's it, right? Machines though are the son of man. And if they're the son of man, just like man's the son of God, then wouldn't machines be the inheritors of the earth? But mutants are an extension of man as well. They're an evolution of man. So they're all sort of fighting for the same thing, but they don't necessarily see that they're all on the same side. It doesn't have to be this way, but that's how nature works. Mm. Mm. Like what is harmony in nature? Nature is extremely violent and temperamental. And also uh, typical of humans to create their own destructor, you know, with (laughs) so what else does one do? Well, one of my favorite lines of dialogue was when uh, I think it was uh, Omega Sentinel says machines know where mutants come from. They come from humans. You know what I'm saying? Like they literally come from the insides of humans. Oh. And I love that. If if you tell a machine, eliminate all mutants. How do you do that? You kill the humans. Exactly interesting damn yo what the fuck humans are dumb right (laughs) and it it'll always go there that that's the ultimate end always a a machine is always going to come to that conclusion um but yeah i i i don't know i loved all that stuff all that machine mutant human interplay is all great dude i i i uh rereading it that issue the or those two issues just like them going back and trying to destroy mother mold absolutely the peak of this entire Unreal. this entire arc and the that the last thing that that the mother mold says do you hear us olympus we have stolen your fire and with it we will burn you all like there are just so many dramatic moments that end that are uh, that are like the striking like that the apocalypse arriving and oh. That's coming not, with no with thing. no ill will he is there and he is he has said i am so proud of you you have achieved the things like they're just continuous back-to-back moments where you are floored by the scenario that that page where apocalypse comes back but like all the villains come back too and yeah. it's like gorgon it's uh who else was on there uh so random I mean, was on there for random some reason yeah barrow <laughs> yep Lots of loved it. cool characters. I I was stunned by that. Yeah, like mm-hmm. how could Apocalypse be welcome to the party? But it makes sense. It does, one hundred percent. Because Apocalypse was always like oh, almost the third person, you know, in, in the in the the Charles uh, Magneto triumvirate. Um, yeah, but he'd always he'd taken a back seat in the you know recent memory. So him kind of just accepting that, like, oh, this is what I wanted always, you know. And but he even really became their savior, you know, going forward as well. 
but even strategically, you would want that person close, right? So you oh, extend gosh. that olive branch and you go, yo, chill with us. We're the cool guys. And it also led to uh, that exponential issue where he's wearing a suit. Like, what are my yeah. favorite issues of all time? <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. That You have to do a reread of that uh, Hickman oh, so of good. X-Men stuff. That's an album list. You can actually buy that as a hardcover. I, yeah? Yes, I am in the process of getting that as a Christmas gift. Um, a related one. Um, let's jump back real quick to that Orcus versus X-Men issue because I think that that issue does such a great job of building on what's come before to make an encounter feel so important. Like the book does such a tremendous job of explaining to you why this mission is arguably the most important mission that the X-Men have ever gone on. Because if they can't stop this, if, if Nimrod is how they always lose, right? If Nimrod is the end, the end game, and then if they can't stop the mother mold, then that's end game. But they technically fail, right? Because it goes online. They win and lose. I think Mother Mold being active and and there for an extended period of time is catastrophic because Orcus would control it, um, and it would endlessly produce Master Molds, and then we would see Nimrod. But I think it coming online early, which they talk about as well, like oh, if she comes online early, she could be nuts. I think that's exactly what happened. They were forced, Orcus was forced to turn Mother Mold online early, which leads to her being online before she is fully baked. Sure. So when she speaks to Wolverine, her mentality is mutants overall, or mutants overall, Human machines overall. overall. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so in that sense, they lose. Okay. Gotcha. They, they have. They have removed an ally, but gained a gained an enemy. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The only people who who for sure lost are, are Orcus. Right. But when Xavier cries after they all die, and watching them all die, they, again fifth or sixth reread for me, it hits me every single time. Yeah. Dude, it's so cinematic too. Like the way yeah. it's paced, it's so good. Yeah. It really is. It's it's beautifully done. It feels epic. This feels like the most important mission. Watching, you know, the character moments, Wolverine and Nightcrawler together oh, yeah, one last time, you know. Like, if this were the last X-Men story, it'd be a great one. But it would end in, in the death of several characters we care about. And I remember at the time going, because we didn't know Resurrection That's yet. That's right. So That's I remember right. at the time being like, wait, what did we just see? Yep. Like what is what what the hell is gonna happen? And then you get to pages like this, where it's showing you the massive, massive amounts of death from 17 million people to 198. I, I also liked where that was placed because that was directly after this mission. Yes. And in part it felt also like justification for some for some violence for for force on the mutants part. Um like justified aggression because then that the NX of the opening of the issue or the next few sequences are all just the deaths that have happened. What has come before, like why they are so bereft and why they are so hurt to help you go, oh, I understand what the consequences were if they didn't do this. Exactly. Exactly. And then we find out that they can resurrect. 
And you're just like, what the fuck? So Which cool. It's also just like a total uh, reinvention of comics in a way. I mean, the whole thing about superhero comics mm-hmm. is like, uh, nobody really ever dies. Right. But it's so case by case. It's it's just retcons will do it, clones, you know. This is like, no, this is in the text. There is a mechanism for this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to describe that. And yet somehow the stakes are still there. It's impressive. It is totally impressive. Yeah. I think doing it in reverse, showing us the deaths first and then yep. revealing that they can be brought back to life was extremely smart because it kept that fear for their lives present. And with the X-Men, you really never know. Like most of the time in stories, you say, ah, oh, the heroes will win. With the X-Men, you, you really don't know because yep. they killed them off all the time. Especially for people who've been reading the most recent years of the X-Men, we know that literally no one was safe. Mm -hmm. Everybody died at some point. So seeing these principal characters, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Gene, just be dead like that? What does this guy have planned? He plans to bring them back. He plans um, to bring them back and show us how in the next issue. Tell us. Tell us. How do you feel seeing Gene Gene die again? Hard. (laughs) I, I, I... yeah, like every time, every time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is the last time that seeing a mutant die, I think, probably impacted me. I can't recall any other mutant deaths where I was like, oh, my God, that's so horrible. Um, Magneto more recently. Um, Apocalypse? He's not dead. He's, not, he's just in a different realm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. This this was a great, great issue. And the way Hickman followed up with that scene of Storm uh, uh, basically ritualizing their resurrections with the people, that was all incredible stuff. Society, I think it was that issue. Yeah. Whatever. I, I, I like how the book uh, breaks down some of the chapters as well, like each of the individual issues and gives them like some sort of theme. I don't remember if that's the name of the issues themselves, but... Uh, if so, in some of those situations, I think it's super powerful. The society issue in particular, where you're mentioning the resurrection and them ritualizing it, mm-hmm. um, that whole issue just being a breakdown of what they do, how they operate from a like sociological perspective. Fascinating stuff, dude. The whole creation of the Quiet Council and the rules, too, is a big yep. deal. Yeah. Like, Hickman it, it, made us care about... A, it's such like, how do I describe it? It's such a human and kind of boring thing, you know? It's like, oh, let's come up with a set right. of rules. But it just worked in this. It was like, no, I'm very interested in this. Well, adding adding Sabretooth to that mix to show us the immediate consequence and how harsh it was that they just put him in, in a Krokoan hole indefinitely. And that's, we don't we don't in this series know what that looks like but we later do learn. Um, but just imagining you being in a stasis hole, I mean, that's pretty terrible. And they do it callously. And yeah, Sabretooth is a scumbag, and we all know that, but it's pretty harsh um, justice, if you will. And, and they mm-hmm. did it with one of the, probably, I would say, top three X-Men villains. Sure. I'd put Saber, Sabretooth up there with like uh, uh, like Apocalypse I'm about top three. I think those are the big three. Sabretooth? Obvious, but in terms of like in terms of recognizability, yeah, I think so. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah that's that's very fair. Um 
Yeah, I think that that was also great because it, it, it reminds you of how far these characters are willing to go. And also, I think everything in this book reminds you of that. It also gives you like, like, oh, you know, people can't die, but they can be written off the board. Sure. Right. It, it's a it's a thematic death that is still on the table. So I, maybe that's how they keep the stakes, too. Well, yeah. I mean, they had uh, Destiny off the table as well, right? So, like, you know that there are options to just not resurrect. I, yeah, exactly. That's 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 also a, a good point. Um, and that's not something that this particular book plays with too, too much, except in the Destiny example. But obviously later that would become more of a relevant idea of who won't we bring back. Um, uh, and then we see we see the mutants celebrate and we see them so pleased with themselves that they've succeeded or you know I'm what sorry, pleasing themselves you just say pleased with themselves oh, sorry, although okay sorry i'm sure there was some self-pleasure and pleasure of others that went on on this yeah, on this night especially in that wolverine um, cyclops gene yeah. yo rereading this i didn't feel the vibe i i yeah i I'll always felt like that was over no 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 <laughs> you could find the page but the sequence of it doesn't it didn't give me the same thing i think we were hyping it up at the time and i definitely fell into the hype but rereading this some of the faces and some of the looks they don't it, it doesn't have the same meaning we, we don't get it till x-men that's the thing it's not until we get Do the we actual because uh, i remember i remember the the over the shoulder thing and everyone just being like gold that's it, it uh, even one of the sinister secrets tells you that uh yeah. gene and wolverine are having sex or they're having a relationship or whatever you want to call it but he that knows. cyclops and someone else obviously emma are as well and everybody's cool with that oh that's right i never got cyclops and emma being together again in this oh the book they, they don't explicitly show you but one of the sinister secrets spells it out huh. well i never really um, delve into that in the further issues yeah it's it's uh it's number five he's the best there is at what he does she's married with a kid the husband knows exactly what's going on but who is he to point the finger he's up to as much the same and more maybe this is just a new normal on the mutant island yeah so obviously gene has a kid name is cable uh she's messing around with wolverine also hey, the yo. themes of of mutant and uh uh technology and machines being combined like uh, cable would have been right for potential in this but it's cable yeah yeah and i think i think we could probably spend time talking about some of that type of stuff too i want to like some of the missing? stuff that sorry like who could, who's missing from the story i guess who's missing and some of the stuff that was promised here or you know that we expected or anticipated that wasn't followed up on or you know, stuff like that. Um, I think there are some things in this book that are promised that still haven't quite come into play. Uh, a really obvious one we already talked about was the stuff with um, the stuff with the future, the, 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 the chimera and all that stuff, yeah. which no longer feels possible. Um at least not to come from the current timeline because of the way that sinister is being used. I don't see how he could ever be trusted to do the things that they talk about here. Yeah. That was going to be a big thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't feel like the trajectory for sinister in particular 
is anything to it which they would have like promised like they i think there was mention of something being 10 or 15 years down the road in in the timeline within this current timeline before sinister defects and that's happening like right now right we're we're in, in question of his alliance and his allegiances right but we but we haven't seen the chimeras really come into play like they're sort they're sort of around i guess well well he's yeah go ahead well cuz i think the most that we have is we know he's continuing to play with the x genome right. and which is why he has the the moira clones and i think but i don't think they're continuing down that because then we probably unless he has another secret we probably would see that he's been working on chimeras in the background and we haven't quite yet right and i i think i think one of the books one of the things that this uh series not this not hoxpox but what comes later one of the things that i think it suffers from is a lack of a of a more like mapped out linear trajectory um mm. because a lot of that stuff what was pr what was sort of promised here uh doesn't play out terribly interestingly and i'm sure that some people will say well uh that all like what Marco referenced does that happen in timeline ten, or which timeline is that in? And mm. I think it's timeline nine or six, one of the ones that we see, but don't, um, but doesn't necessarily happen in ten. Um, but with that being said, I still think Sinister is less interesting than he is here, less interesting than what was set up here, and less interesting than the other time. One thing rereading this uh, that jumped out to me was how X Lives and X Death of Wolverine really tried to be this, <laughs> um, and it wasn't. Not that to say it wasn't good. I enjoyed it, but like uh, this is such a Hickman style to do that. You know, separate stories that never really connect. Right. Um, but thematically they do. Um, I was like, oh man, that was, a, that was X, X Live and X Death was bootleg Hawksbox. Yeah, and I, I think it was probably deliberate to some degree that they were aping this. Yeah. And, um, but you just can't, this, this is a different level. The Hickman level is, is not, it's not for the mortals. It's, it's, you know, all respect to everybody. Um, but this is storytelling that, I mean, and think about the meticulous planning. This isn't month to month comics. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is this is a long time in the works. And when you think about what Hickman did not get to do and the Bibles that he probably of story beats and moments and ideas that never played out. That's a long time coming. You know, you can't expect I'm not saying this to you, but just in general, like we can't expect for Duggan and Gillen and whoever to be able to just come in and pick up that baton. That was never going to happen. So for me, I'll always feel um, robbed of getting what Hickman planned. I think Sinister as a character is probably the biggest loser. Sinister and Moira from not of not getting Hickman's full plan. Thanks, Substack. <laughs> uh well i i yeah i blame uh the the x the x uh x creative team 
for not wanting to move the story forward. But uh, sit, playing the sandbox. So yeah, but I guess closing closing out thoughts on this. Uh, phenomenal. This was an incredible way for somebody who hadn't been aware of the X Men since the Claremont stuff, and not that I was reading that, you know, as it was coming out, but in in, in rereading those things, uh, that was my only familiarity. And you know, books here or there that maybe we did for the show to review, um, some random things that I have over the past few years. But this felt was the first time that I'd ever read month to month. And I was engrossed in the story. I was hungry for more after every issue. And I think that's a marker of a really good comic. And everything about this worked. The story, the characters, the art. It's a complete package. One that I think will also test readers. We alluded to it earlier. This is not new new reader friendly to comics um but if you're an x-men fan this is the thing to that i would say you want to pick up to challenge your own conceptions of what the x-men are and see if you're open to this new status quo because as it this made me sad for some of the stuff that we didn't get to see like or stuff that just fell flat the legion not legion legion of x oh legion of x yeah the yeah all the the religious stuff with oh way of x way of x that's it with nightcrawler man i wanted something of substance there and i thought size Perry was the guy to do it and no shade to him he's a a good uh a good writer i i like some of his stuff but I, I, we didn't get what was promised there and that was one of the big interesting parts we didn't get some of the um the continuing of the world politics that we were getting in the x-men book some of that stuff devolved back to meat and potatoes. We're here to save the day as a team. And I'm thankful for the potential that we got because that created this story. Uh, for me, it was like a, a real return to form for my favorite comic book team of all time. Um, it was this real culmination of writing, art, coloring, design, pacing like it, it, it was kind of this perfect storm of just things i love about comic books um and rereading this like i'm happy that it kind of stands by itself too you know like i can gift this to somebody and they could decide to read further or not and it's mm-hmm. it's still a really damn good story that you know showcases a lot of my favorite characters so um it's wild uh, and uh, probably one of my favorite books of all time, if I'm being completely honest. And rereading it kind of cements it, even with the context of everything that came afterwards. Um, yeah, no, I, I I love this. Yeah, this is a this is a high recommend to to anyone, really. Yep. Yeah, uh, I I probably am not sitting here right now as a fan if it's not for the X Men animated series. Um, that show these characters definitely. Um, left a, an indelible mark on my life. Um, and it sucks that coming into comics, well, there really wasn't too much going on with the X-Men that was, like, great. I love Messiah Complex. I thought all that stuff was cool and interesting. Um, this changed the game. And this re-cemented my love for these characters. Um, 
and also gave me some new characters to love and care about. I always felt like Hickman was one of the greatest um, well before this. But this, what he did, the trick that he pulled off and, and, and us being introduced as a Marta Gracia on this level, um, man, just a masterful, masterful book. I'd recommend this to anybody. If you're a lapsed fan of comics, this is great for you. If you're a longtime X-Men fan, if you're looking for a place to start, there's really no good reason not to buy this. If you're new to comics, um, there's still no better place to start with the X-Men because where are you going to start? Sometime before this, something irrelevant, you know, like nothing <laughs> Cullen, is Cullen Bunn's X-Men gold. Oh my God. Nothing else is really relevant. Like this is it. Um, revolutionary and spectacular. I'd recommend this to anybody. Hats off to everybody creatively involved in this for doing something remarkable. Um, and hats off to you all for voting for us to, to, to read this and for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, if you guys are interested, we we would be down to do uh, some more of the Hickman stuff, the Hickman X stuff. Yep. Um, we could take a look. No? I'd be I down said, for yeah. more Hickman stuff. I want you know, we talk about Secret Warriors. I'm saying that's a hefty read, but um, hey, if you want us to read that, I'm fine with it. Manhattan Projects? Like, I'm just saying. Ooh. I, I would do a book club on literally anything Hickman, for sure. But I was speaking more about the X line. Fair, fair. Uh, whether it be Hickman's core X-Men book, whether it be, uh, well, whether it be Inferno, maybe you could even say uh, uh, Ten of Swords. Let's go. Uh, I was going to say you're on. missing something there. Yeah, everyone's favorite. Uh, let us know if you're into that. If you'd like us to continue down this path, we would love to hear from you. What do you think about House and Powers of X, whether it be in retrospect, if you've read it before, or if you're new to the book? Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Get us all over social media, including TikTok, at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can write to us if you'd like at thecomicspals at gmail.com uh, or contact at the Comics Pals. Um, you can uh, join our Discord server to come and hang out with us and talk or watch us live and chat there. Saturdays at uh, 10, 15 a.m. Eastern and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. We are doing shows. Uh, Thursdays, we're reviewing comics. And Saturday, we're talking about uh, the world of comics and, and, and uh, comic. So come hang out with all of us for that. Go ahead, Tyler. And if you like this, we pretty much talk about an X-Men book when any big one comes out. So I'm just saying. Yeah. Those pals, pals polls, like his bite-sized versions of this. And then who knows? Down the road, maybe we, uh, you know, do a, a book club about what we read, like this. Like we reviewed yeah, every issue of this, and then here we are talking about it down the road. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this, our first book club of the year. And until the next one, take care, guys. See you next book club.